Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. I'm Heidi Malako. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, today we're going to talk about your pet peeves and safety issues, uh, what you can do to make sure when you're riding in, with a group on the trail that you are doing everything right and staying safe and together. So you have quite a bit of experience in this. Well, sure. I've been riding all my life, and, and trail riding has has pretty much been a part of that. Um, from the time I was a kid until today. And uh, I've, uh, you know, had a, a ran trail riding operations and and still today work closely with uh, large trail riding operations and uh, through the Certified Horsemanship Association and also through the clinics I do at Dude Ranches. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Good. And... Tell me, what happens if people don't plan out their ride first? It's a, it's quite a bit different to ride with a group than it is to just go out by yourself and do what you want to do. So what's kind of that worst-case scenario or just mistakes that can happen if you don't have a good plan of how you'll ride together before you start out? Well, you know, a group trail ride is um, anything uh, two horses or more would be a group, and and that can range from just a handful of horses, maybe a few friends from the same stable, um, to, uh, you know, six to 12 riders maybe that are meeting in a location and riding together. And then, of course, you have larger organized rides um, up to, you know, I know of rides around the country that are literally hundreds of Huge. people in, in a trail. So. Um, you know, things vary somewhat when um, with the type of ride that you're on and the way it's organized, but there is always etiquette because etiquette just has to do primarily with safety and with being courteous to uh, the people, other people that you're riding with. And you darn well better know who you're riding with and agree ahead of time that you're going to go at a certain pace and that you're going to follow some of these rules or else you could end up putting yourself in quite a precarious spot if, if other people want to do something that you don't want to do, right? Well, I, I advise people all the time, be very particular, uh, pick your friends wisely when it comes <laughs> to who you go trail riding with. and. And I'm real picky that way. I mean, I used to guide trail for a living and and, uh, do um, pack trips and all that kind of stuff. And so I've been in charge of so many rides that um, I'm very particular when I go trail riding now for fun uh, to make sure I'm going to have fun and not end up being in charge of someone else's mouth. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very picky about who I ride with. And when people talk about uh, having fears and a lack of confidence, um, then that's when I really find myself advising, you know, be particular about who you ride with. Make sure they have good etiquette, that they're courteous and that they're safe and that their horses mm-hmm. are well-behaved and and that there's agreed upon speed and, and, and uh, the length of the ride and the challenge of the terrain and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know that depending on your the size of your group, a small group, 
a large ride like you're talking about, like a hundred people there for some benefit or something like that. That's, that's something where you need to set up a lot of etiquette. And then we also want to talk about what it's like to ride at a guest ranch when you are riding either a borrowed horse or going out on a um, ride for hire kind of thing. So you've set up a good list for us to talk about on these different topics we need to consider when we're riding with a group. And so for each one of those, I'd like to kind of have you walk us through how it might be different in a small group versus a really large group that needs a lot of organization, and then what it might be like totally different to ride at a guest ranch. So let's start that off with the actual organization and leadership of the ride. Even if there's just you and a friend that want to go down the road together, you still need some organization and leadership. So at a minimum, if it's just you and one or two friends, someone has to decide where you're going <laughs> and how fast you're going to get there. And so, um, you know, generally in a casual setting, that's whoever, whoever decides where you're going ends up being sort of the one in charge. But, and, and in a casual riding situation, Generally, the person with the most experience uh, ends up being the one in charge if needed. And so uh, let's say a group of my friends and I, let's say there's three or four of us, we all own our own horses, we all trail ride a lot, we're all perfectly competent for taking care of ourselves. Um, somebody organized the ride and said, hey, let's all meet at the cattle guard at 10 um and we're going to go for an hour and a half mm -hmm. and um you know we know the train or whatever but when 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 you really need a leader is when things go wrong what what if someone falls off and gets hurt what if a horse gets hurt or or right. uh, gets right. away or you know something um so in you know if you're staying in a you know if you're on an urban trail ride and you're in central park new york whatever um, the leadership isn't as, as critical as if you're on a five-day pack trip right. in the wilderness right. area with no cell phone communication and, and all that. So, um, you know, all of those things have a factor in how much organization is a part of the ride and how important the leadership is. But I know for myself, since I'm a professional and since I, I've done a lot of uh trail guiding in a professional setting, I'm always, most always going to end up the one in charge if something goes wrong, unless I'm the one that gets hurt. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, often it's just going to default to the person with the most experience um, and the best leadership skills. But <clears throat> different situations call for different level of planning and, and, um, and leadership required. Um, but at the minimum, but no matter what you're doing, there is always etiquette involved and, the, and safety is all, should always be a concern of everyone's. Right. And you'd think even if it's just uh, you and a friend and you're going up in the mountains and you're not just really close to home, someone needs to be in charge enough to have a first aid kit or a few emergency things, make sure there is a phone with you, just for bare minimum, somebody to make sure that, hey, do we have everything we need with us? And I think sometimes if you don't set that up, nobody does it. You know, if you're all, if you're riding with friends at the same level, 
you almost have to pick that one person to be a little bit in charge or the leader for the day just to make sure somebody does what's needed ahead of time. Exactly. You know, depending on the level of remoteness and terrain and all of that, um, as all of that increases, so does your need for good, strong leadership and organization. And so another thing I've heard you talk about in the past, we did a TV episode about this, was even writing in a group of three. Hey, if we're going to change gates or something like that, we need to have some arm signals. We need to have some some agreeable, you know, something set up ahead of time that, hey, we're only going to go at a walk and a trot, just to have a little bit of a conversation up front and then choose what is in that conversation depending on how big the group is. Yeah, and I think it's important in a small group setting, just a bunch of private riders. Uh, for me personally, I want to know who I'm riding with. I want to know that their horse is pretty reliable. Um, if you get into challenging terrain and or a remote situation uh, and then you have a horse that uh, blows up or, or has a fit or, you know, pitches a bucking fit or something, that can have an effect on the other horses as well, as well, and it puts everyone at risk. Um, <clears throat> it's much different from riding around the barn or in an arena where you can just remove the fractious horse. Right. You know, you're you're, you're stuck together. with that you're horse. Out there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's why I say pick your company wisely um, and make sure there is an agreed upon speed. You know, there's there's quite a few things that no matter what level or type of ride you're on, there, there's a lot of etiquette that applies. And, and again, it has to do with safety and being courteous. Um, but there should be an agreed-upon speed, changes of speed. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the, uh, the standard is that you, you always ride to the ability level of the lowest level rider. Mm-hmm. And so if you end up in a group of riders and we say, hey, we're getting ready to get started, do all of you feel comfortable trotting? And, um, you know, one says, no, I've never trotted before. Right. Then we right. say, okay, we'll, no, we'll stay at the walk. And um, so you, you, you should always go the speed of the lowest level rider and terrain, of course, as well. Um, any changes of speed should be uh, agreed upon as to how that's going to be communicated so nobody has any surprises or is caught off guard. Um, there's many, many etiquette, little pieces of etiquette involved around keeping the group together and not getting the horses spread out. And so if, for instance, you come to a gate, uh, you gotta, somebody's gotta open that gate and then one at a time you gotta parade through the gate and then somebody's gotta close that gate. So, uh, you know, generally the first person opens the gate, the second person rides through and he rides away just far enough that the entire group can stop on the other side of the gate. Okay. And then he, and then if I were that person, I would turn around and face the gate so that the rest of the horses, it was clear we're not going any further yet. And then you wait for that person that held the gate to get back on their horse or get get that gate closed. Um, and then when he says, okay, we're good, then you all take off 
as a group. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone on group trail rides and been the one that opened the gate. And then people are chatting it up, yucking it up, <laughs> having a good time. They ride on through. They keep on and going they down leave the, road. the gate open. <laughs> well, and then, or you're there waiting to close the gate. <clears throat> And they all take off, mm. and your horse is starting to get frantic because they're leaving. So it's it's just it's all it you know it's discourteous, and sure. so um, a lot you know same thing mounting up. You know you want to um, first of all it it'd be nice if the mounting time were designated such that people weren't sitting on their horses forever waiting. Um, right. Horses aren't couches, and, and they don't do that well when you're just sitting on them. So we kind of say, okay, let's all mount up. And then once you're mounted, you move out of the way um, of the mounting area, but wait, move just far enough away so there's room for the other horses, and then wait. And then we say, oh, okay, let's go. And um, we try to keep the ride together. The more strung out the horses get, the more problems you're going to have. Um, we try to keep our horses from fraternizing, from, you know, biting the tail of the horse in front of them or making ugly faces at a horse or any of that kind of stuff. All of these things are just simple and, and really common sense. If you've been around horses for very long, you learn that a lot of this is just simple common sense so that every everybody gets along well and uh so that you don't have needless little safety uh safety problems that's true i'm just giggling because i think common sense is something that <laughs> is it really out there anymore <laughs> you, you almost you have to have a plan or someone in charge to even think about i just think <clears throat> sometimes if you don't know about this and think about the fact that if your horse is leaving other horses are going to get worried people don't always have well, common sense yeah that's exactly right. You know, people get wrapped up in themselves and their own horse, and they—and <clears throat> it's no different in the arena. Um, they get so caught up in their own agenda that they forget to look at the other horses around them and yes. say, oh, hey, maybe that person's having a little trouble. Maybe if I step over there, it will help. Maybe right. if I step back, it will help. Maybe, maybe I want to just get the heck out of the way so that doesn't happen to my horse, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's having awareness of the people around you and the horses around you. and um, But but it's a little more important with horses because they're hurt, they are herd animals and they are aware of all the other horses around them. Mm-hmm. So um, that creates a big disconnect at times when people get so zoomed in on their own horse that they're not seeing sort of the dynamics of the bigger picture which all the horses are seeing. They're paying attention to that. So the yeah. back to mounting up then, do you recommend that the leader say, like, okay, now is the time for everybody to get up or to have kind of a command, especially in a larger group? Well, you could say whatever. Let's everybody meet, you know, over here in the middle of the parking lot. As soon as everybody's here, we'll go ahead and mount. But a lot of times you have a one or two at a time mounting situation because you're using a mounting block, a block or whatever. Or an area. So right? every situation is going to be different. A lot of big operations um, have different staging areas. So, you, you know, before you get on your horse, you're in one area, and that's where you 
find the papers and get your helmet and make sure your boots are okay. And then you go to the mounting area. Once you're up there, you're into another corral waiting. And, you know, so every, uh, in, in organized rides, uh, hopefully they've thought about it. You know, I always, one time I was doing something a few years ago and it, and there, it was a big, uh, organized trail ride kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, P- and people were mounting up like, a long time before the ride or the mm. clinic began, and they were riding, 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 riding around, kind of goofing off. Well, then then your horses are already tired and worn out, and the ride hasn't even started yet. So right. um, I always I always watch out for that in my clinics, too. Sometimes they're, they're used to warming up their horse at home, so they get out there and start warming up too early. Next thing you know, their horse is tired, and we hadn't even started the clinic yet, so... Um, right. You know, the timing is uh, is good to try to stage that out and be organized about it. Once riders are mounted, we want them to get out of the mounting area. Um, you want to try to make things flow in a logical order, try to order and space the horses according to the way you're going to have them on the ride. Uh, you know, so maybe in a really large ride, you might have uh, break off into smaller groups so you uh, up at Sea Lazy U, we do this. We'll get all the riders mounted and in the, in the outdoor arena. And then we'll split up into smaller groups according to speed and, uh, and head out. So every situation's different, right. but organization, I, I, I don't know of too many situations where I've heard of too much organization. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about controlling your horse. What is your responsibility when you're riding in a group to control your own horse? I think, um, you know, you shouldn't be putting yourself and your horse in a situation you're not qualified for. So if you're going on a group trail ride, um, you, you know, you should make sure your horse has the training he needs. One thing that I I have seen happen again and again, and probably always will happen, is um, people underestimate how overwhelming it is for horses to be in large groups. Right. If a horse ha- is not accustomed to that, it'd be like you had a homeschooled child that lived way out in the country and hardly ever went to town, and then all of a sudden you you know, put them in high school or college in a huge, right. you know, giant classroom full or school full of kids, it'd be overwhelming. And, and for horses, um, large groups, if they're not used to that, can be very stressful. And so you might have a horse that, in a small group, you've never had any trouble with and he's calm and quiet on the trail, but you get in a large group and he gets overexcited. Very and, different, right? You know, yeah. So you want to, um, you know, I wouldn't take that for granted if you've never, if you've never gone on a, on a large group ride. Um, that can be a, a little overwhelming for a, for a tense horse. But if you go with friends and the horse has other horses he knows, usually as soon as you get the horse to work, they settle into what they know how to do, which is go down the trail. And, um, but it's your responsibility to be able to control the horse and not have a, a prancy, spooky mess of a horse and or one that is, um, you know, whinnying and disrupting mm-hmm. the other horses or, or uh, one, one that um, 
insists on being in the front of the ride, if you have a horse like that, you're probably not going to be able to take him on a group ride because it's unlikely you'll ever be in the front. Right. So, um, you know, I, I always encourage people to start small and build up and get your horse away from home and in bigger and bigger groups. That's one reason why going to horsemanship clinics is really beneficial because it's a controlled setting, uh, but you get your horse in front of a lot right. of strange horses. And they just learn that they how to cope with that. They learn that if they just continue to follow the rules, you'll you'll take care of them. And you know, so um, make sure you have the experience you need before you sign sign up for stuff like that. Sure. And then with that, if you're on a commercial ride, you might not really need to worry about it because hopefully that horse is just trained to follow the horse in front of them and knows what it's all about and you don't have to worry about that control factor quite so much sure if you're going to a guest ranch or any riding trail riding program where they provide the horses chances are they're really great trail horses that are very familiar with the trails that go to work every single day taking taking people down the trails um, and those horse, those rides will almost certainly be guided by a guide that knows the trails and is fully equipped and also Your leadership is set, well. right. Yeah. So all so. that work is done for you in the, in the guest ranch setting or a trail riding program. And it's important that you trust those horses, that you ride them the way you're instructed to ride them. Um, it's not your job to train somebody else's horse. So, you you know, if I'm getting on a horse, I don't know. I, you know, I always ask, is there anything I need to know about this horse? Um, is there anything I should or shouldn't do? Um, and, you know, they'll let you know. And um, so, now, if that horse is out of control or does something wrong, it's, of course, your job to ride the horse. But um, generally in the case of large trail riding operations and guest ranches, those are professional outfits. And, and uh, while horses uh, certainly aren't 100% predictable, um, those kinds of operations generally have pretty solid trail horses. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's skip ahead then on this good list you have for changing speeds. What's some etiquette that you must know when you're riding in a group about changing speeds? We talked a little bit about determining the speed, but say you want, you know you want to go faster at a certain place or when you get to a meadow or something like that. Well, here's where some kind of leadership comes into play um, because depending on who is familiar with the terrain, there's, there's only going to be some places. And, and, you know, of course – Everybody thinks of trail riding a little bit differently. You and I live in in Colorado, and I live in the mountains. You can't go trail riding here without being in the mountains. So when I think of trail riding, that's what I'm thinking of. Right. But, of course, it's not that way for everybody. Some trails are flat, and some have good footing everywhere, and some, you know, you can ride two abreast or even more, and... Some you have to ride in a single track. And so someone hopefully is aware enough and knowledgeable enough that 
knows what spots of the trail are appropriate for trotting or cantering. Um, as we approach that stop, of who's ever leading the ride, say, everybody okay to trot here? And depending on the size of your ride, if, you know, if it's just four or five of you, I can look around at four or five right. horses and riders and say, hey, are you all ready to trot? And then you'll all look me right in the face and say, yeah or no. Or, um, But if there's a dozen or 20 or who knows how many, of course, it's it's good etiquette to pass the message down the line. So when I say, as the leader of the ride, um, get ready to trot, um, then the person behind me would pass that back, pass it back, pass it back till it got to the end of the ride, and then somebody say, okay, we're ready, and then, you know, one, two, three, trot, or whatever. So the communication and how the communication is passed along is going to depend on the ride, but in and always, even in a smaller group, everyone on the ride should make sure everybody heard the communication, whatever it was. So even if I was going out with two or three or four friends, uh, if the person in front said, hey, is everybody ready to try? I would turn around myself and make sure everybody heard that or pass the message along. So that communication right. is right. important. Um, a lot of In a lot of program rides where they ride head to tail, and they have, you know, strict rules, and their horses are trained to ride head to tail very strictly. A lot of times they'll use hand signals, so the leader might hold up a hand when they're going to stop or hold up a hand when they're going to slow down. But um, usually it's going to be passed vocally um, down the line. And um, so somebody's got to be in charge of making decisions of when you're going to start, when you're going to stop. And, um, and then also, you know, Everybody on the ride needs to make sure the group is staying together. You know, in a in a more organized ride, you're going to have somebody riding at the head and somebody riding sweep or at the tail of the ride. Um, in a larger ride, you might also uh, you'll have a I'm sorry, you're going to have a head rider and a drag right. rider. You might also have a sweep rider that kind of rides up and down the line to make sure everybody's sure getting along okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yes, that's I've learned that the hard way about make even in a small group making sure that someone that knows what they're doing is in the back, <laughs> and that's that's very important. Yeah, when there's only you three know, of you. In a organized and formal ride, the the standard is that you you have a guide in the front and a guide in the back, and nobody goes in front of the head guide, and the head guide never leaves the head of the ride. He controls the head of the ride. Right. So if he abandons the head, theoretically, the rest of the horses could take off and run back home, let's say. Right. Um, and then the drag rider never uh, lets anyone get behind him. So he's the one or she's the one responsible to make sure everybody has made it down the trail. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. So let's we talked a little bit about spacing almost within that just to make sure that you're in the, the right place. But, but what about passing is there anything you should know about when to pass or if it's okay to pass or asking to pass again that's going to depend on the terrain and the number of horses in your group um you know we generally want to space our horses and order our horses in a in a in an order that makes the horses be compatible in speed and compatible in temperament. If you, you know, if we're just going out with a few horses, 
and all those horses live together and one of them is real dominant and one of them is right. not, we're probably going to put that dominant horse in the front. Uh, if one of them really steps out and one of them doesn't, we're going to put that horse that really steps out in the front. So, you know, we want to no, use it right. common yeah. Yeah, and use common sense in, in in the organization. But if you're going to pass, you just want to make sure that there's adequate distance. Um, in riding, let's say, in the mountains on single track, you might have to go a long, long way before there's a flat and wide enough space that you even could right. pass. Um, and then, you know, it, it would be really rude to have a horse that was running up Let's say we were on single track. If, if your horse was getting impatient and fussy, um, if you let him run up on my horse and sort of be fussing at my horse's tail, that's mm-hmm. going to pass the agitation to my horse, and I'm going to have problems. So, you know, you want to make sure you um, maintain spacing. Now, if the horses are good trail horses that do their job well, there might be almost no spacing between head and tail um, of the horse in front or behind. Um, but if my horse, maybe I'm riding a young horse and he doesn't have the manners he should, um, that's my job to keep my horse from from agitating your horse or causing your horse to have to rush or anything like that. So, right, right. Um, you know, in, in a perfect world, we would say all the horses would be one horse length apart and that if you look through the ears of your horse, you should be able to see the hind feet of the horse in front of you. Mm-hmm. But horses will naturally follow much closer than that. Right, right. And so often with really good and very experienced and heavily used trail horses, they they follow in a closer lineup than that. But yes. if my horse start, starts causing problems, I'm going to back him off and make him keep the distance that that I say. So, well, and that again has to do with terrain and those horses that are that close. They know exactly where they're going. They know every inch of the trail. Versus if you're going somewhere new and and you want to have space in case something happens to the rider in front of you, and they choose to do something different. Yeah. Now, you've talked about fraternizing and just not allowing that, um, but what happens if you need to, to stop the ride, if somebody drops their phone, if somebody's hat falls off, things like that? What do you do to make sure everybody's safe if there needs to be a reason to stop along the way? Well, again, on many trail rides, the terrain is going to dictate where it's safe to stop. And um, depending on the size of the ride, this may be a bigger deal um, than than the smaller ride. And just what couple of caveats here is is when it's when you stop the ride that you have trouble. So anybody that's ever led trail professionally, anyone that's ever guided trail ride, know that as long as you keep the ride moving, you're not going to have any trouble. As soon as somebody drops their camera or drops a (laughs) uh, water bottle and you've got to stop and get that thing and walk back there and the horses start fidgeting and fussing, and and that's when you you have trouble. Right. So I want to make sure if I'm going on a group trail ride and we're going up into some – 
um, challenging terrain. I don't want to be the one that causes the ride to stop in the middle of a scree slope on a very exposed, <laughs> yeah. you know, trail. So I want to make sure that everything that might be tied on my saddle is, is tied on really well, that I'm not uh, taking out things while, while we're riding. Oh, you know, we're trotting down the trail and I say, oh, I want to get that picture and try to get my camera out of my candle bag while we're trotting and uh, drop it. So we want to be, and, and many, uh, most trail ride operations will insist on tying things on for you for that reason. Um, So first thing is prevention. Second thing, if something happens and you have to stop the ride, um, if if there's any choice at all, you will want to wait until it's a safe, flat, open area um, to stop. Um, Someone has to make the decision of whether or not riders should dismount or stay mounted. Um, it doesn't take a professional trail guide long to learn that it's best to keep people mounted, that um, having people get off their horses causes uh, more more problems um, for getting back on and, and people get stepped on or kicked or whatever. Um, so, you know, there, again, that might be where some leadership come, comes into play, even if you're in a small, casual group, and let's say nobody said anything with them where, in this particularly challenging area, and somebody says, oh, I dropped my water bottle. Mm-hmm. i got to stop. Maybe so you're sad. the one that has to step up and say, um, let's wait till we get to the top of this hill. We'll stop, and you can dismount and walk back and get your water bottle. It's not safe, safe to stop here. Right. Um, so stopping a ride can be a big deal, and it's not something you want to take lightly. Um, if I have to stop in an unexpected area because there's a problem, uh, again, somebody has to control the group uh, while someone else attends to the problem. So, uh, um, and maybe both of those people are me. If I'm if I'm a trail guide and I just took out four or five riders by myself, and there's a problem, I've got to both supervise the horses that aren't having a problem and help the person mm-hmm. that is having a problem. Mm-hmm. So I can't just turn my back on the other horses. So I might say. Okay, Heidi, you're now at the head of the line. I want you to stay right there. Turn around and face the group. Nobody, uh, you don't move. You stay at the head of the line. Everybody else stay lined up here. I'm going to go back and help her, you know, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, so, you know, every situation is different, of course, but we don't stop a ride lightly. We do everything we can to prevent from stopping a ride. And if you do, um, there well, there has to be um, some leadership and some organization and some supervision involved in stopping the ride as well. And that seems to be the focus of this whole interview that we're doing is plan it ahead, know what you're going to do, make sure someone's in charge that they can actually have some leadership if something like that comes up. And I think, you know, thinking back to just riding out with one friend, you do need to designate just that we're going to talk about this or here are the things we need to talk about and make sure we're okay about. And, and just having that planned ahead of time is going to solve you a lot of problems and frustrations down the, down the trail. Sure. Well, a lot of, a lot of that happens naturally, of course, if I call you up and say, Hey, 
you want to go riding on Wednesday? Sure. Where do you want to go? Well, what if, how long do you have? Well, I've got two hours, you know, so, right. um, you know, some of this you may be already doing subconsciously, but uh, as I always say in clinics, you know, that sometimes um, being aware of what you're doing uh, makes it even more effective. So, Sure, sure. Well, very good. Thank you, Julie, for all your tips. And we probably should give a shout-out to the CHA Trail Guide Manual, too, because lots of information like this is in there and, and can be referred to. Oh, yeah. Through. There's all kinds of procedures and, and um, standard operating procedures for trail riding and etiquette and how to um, organize rides. And, and it's an excellent, excellent resource. You can get it from the... Uh, Certified Horsemanship Association, and um, one of the best investments you'll make in your trail riding education. Very good. Well, Julie, thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm Heidi Malako. I'm here today with Desiree Johnson from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. I know your sizing is a little bit interesting. Tell me how you decided to do sizing this way and, and what the sizing process is. All right. Well, when we first started the website and I was working on my sizing page, Eric and I had several discussions how we were going to approach this because industry sizing is all over the place. For instance, I wear a 4 in a Q-Baby and I wear a 10 in another style wow. of riding jeans. So I, that just wasn't going to work for me. So because of the industry sizing and because I just wanted to be creative, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative person, I decided to give them breed names. For instance, my smallest size of jean is an Arabian, mm-hmm. and my largest size of jean is a Nakota. Now, we have, a, uh, uh, we have plus sizes, and um, for instance, the Appaloosa is the, the largest jean in the regular size, and then there's a okay. slight pattern break, and the Morgan is the smallest of our plus sizes. Basically, you go to the sizing page, and you put your feet together, and you take your measurements, and if you give me two numbers, if you gave me your waist and your hip, I could tell you what size of jean from the sizing page to choose and it's working really really well and that people are loving absolutely loving the breed names it's kind of exciting and different and new and fun right well it helps you find the real measurement rather than trying to fit into something that may or may not be your actual digit anymore (laughs) right right it just doesn't work when somebody says oh i you know i wear a size this I wear in this jean, this other style jean, that, that doesn't work for me. And when I'm, it's my job, my main job is to fit the first wave. And that brings me to my Colt special. But that's my job is I send two jeans and I want those jeans, one of those jeans to fit for them and for me. Otherwise, it's just too much back and forth. And now, tell us a little I, more about that. How does that, how do, how do you send that? How do you decide what you're going to send? And then how does that process work with people choosing the best one? Okay, so um, on the website, it's explained um, very clearly what I call is my cult special, C-O-L-T, cult. Mm-hmm. And you put that word anywhere on your order, and I know what it is that you want. Even if you've kind of messed your order up, I'll fix it. So you go to the sizing page and you, you get your two numbers and you choose two breed size sizes that you'll think will work for you. And I and then you make your order and you put your colt in the order notes. All you do is say colt. And I provide a resealable bag and a prepaid shipping label. 
and I ship you I ship you the two pairs of jeans and a successful cult is one you love and you keep and it fits mm. and then you just pop the other in the resealable bag using the label that I have provided that's already paid for and you ship it back and I don't charge for the jean until you tell me you want to keep one and boy it's it's working great you know Good. Those gals if they have any questions they call me um, and if we miss we just switch it out and but 95% of the time uh, the cult special it's just it's it's working it's working for everybody Good, very good. Well, I think that just takes into consideration real riders, real body shapes and trying to find what's really right for you and what's going to be the most comfortable once you're riding, once you're up in the saddle. Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out smoothstride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also, be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn. 